I got this plaque that I that I brought. I found it at home this weekend, and it's like an old high school plaque. Anybody ever see one of those or got one of these? I'll, the date it's horrible. It's 1989 to 90, the year I graduated. That's really it's a long time ago. So I got this plaque, and my names my name is on the plaque, and it feels. How many of you guys uh, know what it feels like sometimes to have your name on this? I picked this up. I thought, it's so cool, even though this is old. I haven't gotten one in 20 years, right? So, so you know, oh, wow, Shannon just reminded me. It's like 25 years ago. Thanks, Shannon. Um, and so I get this plaque from the music department at, at my high school, and it's pretty cool. I was going to bring a certificate for effort from my elementary school, but I didn't think anybody would be impressed. <laughs> ever get one of those, right? A certificate for effort. And I didn't think that would be that cool. But plaques are something cool. What? Who doesn't like their name on something? Like who doesn't like to have their name on something or their name kind of announced that, oh, they're a winner of something or acknowledged or something, something like that. Usually it makes you feel better than the other person, right? Like the person in elementary that didn't get the effort badge. So sometimes it does that. Unfortunately, human nature kind of makes us feel that way. But we live in a world that cares about names. Sometimes our name is connected to our reputation. Sometimes our name is connected to our capacity. Oh, that person can do stuff. Sometimes our name is connected to uh, our career or what we do or something like that. And so often there's something in our culture that values names, sometimes even overvalues names. Check out the following things that are kind of like listed around names. There's the, don't you love Oprah's hair? I thought that was really cool. When I saw that picture, I'm like, we're going to show that one. But that's the O magazine, right? Because it's Oprah's magazine. If you ever buy decor line or, or linen, sometimes you buy Who's this name? Martha Stewart, right? And so there's names. There was a very popular TV show in the 90s, and it was called Jerry Seinfeld, right? So just like people, there's something about people's names. They use them. They leverage them. These days, we hear a lot about another name that gets branded a lot, right? Um, And so, you know, whether you like it or not, I'm just kind of pointing. There's a lot of attention around names, and around attributing our name. We live in a world where so many people are trying to make a name for themselves, and even more so, I think, even though there's people trying to make a name for themselves, there's more of us that are still trying to find our identity. Even though our names are often used to promote ourselves, deep down inside, I think there's more people still trying to search for their identity. And this is really not that new. In fact, there's a story in the scriptures, probably 5,000 years old or so. And some of you might know this story. It's, it's the story of, uh, called the story of the Tower of Babel. And um, it's a pretty interesting story in Genesis chapter 11. If you know anything about Genesis, you know that the story of scripture starts at creation. Where God, the God of the universe creates. He brings into being And the first couple of chapters of Genesis let us know that when God created, things were good. Things were were doing well. But something cracks in humanity. And the scriptures call it sin, where humanity cracks. And they are now looking and searching for wholeness. And from Genesis 2 to Genesis 11, it's like this spiral down, this downward spiral of human, of humanity. And humanity starts to actually rise. As they spiral down, they rise with pride. They rise with pride. And humanity bands together to build something great. 
And this story, the story of the Tower of Babel, talks about as humanity bands together, they want to reach this new height. And so they come together, technologically speaking. Back then it was making bricks. They went from stones to bricks. Before they just kind of compiled stones and put them together. But something happened. Technology went ahead and they learned how to make bricks, which were square, so they could stack. And the, the story goes on that they start to make these bricks to do something. And here's, here's the verse that really jumped out at me in, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, after they made these bricks and baked them and put them together, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. You catch that, catch that verse right from here? Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. There's this, there was this hunger that was going on. And if you think about it, I mean, let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with building a city. There's nothing wrong with making a tower. There's nothing wrong with growing in technology. There's nothing wrong with growing in your career or, uh, you know, things like that or any, anything like that. There's nothing wrong with business in inherently of itself. It's not evil or good. It's just business. God, if God's given you those abilities, then pursue them in a sense, use them for good. Do them well. That would bring him glory. But there's this moment of pride here. Look what it says. Come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. There's this moment here where pride becomes the motive for what they're building. It wasn't that they were building something. It wasn't that they were able to erect a tower. The, the, the issue that jumped up in this part of the story is that it was their pride that became the motivation for what they were doing. So their, their pride led them to build. Their pride led them to reach. Their pride led them to make a name for themselves. And they were pursuing this. This is one phrase I want you to remember today. It was identity by name making. They were pursuing or looking for identity by name making, by making a name for themselves. So they built up and leveraged their name to find fulfillment, to find significance, to become something so great, even above God. In fact, that story goes on where God thwarts their efforts. What does this look like? Sometimes it looks like we're overly striving or striving in a way that is unhealthy when we pursue ambition. Sometimes it's, it's anxiously protecting my reputation or anxiously protecting your reputation. Sometimes it's self-salvation or self-preservation. This Dar- even, even Darwinian philosophy talks about sometimes this sense of the, the, the um, oh my goodness, kind of like the eliteness, you know, the survival of the fittest. And those who are on top are going to exist and survive. And so it's this, it's this self-salvation. It's funny how this has creeped up in stories. If you've read books like The Hunger Games or Maze Runner or other stories like that, there's always an elite group of people that are trying to survive. And they use people underneath them because they become dispensable. And so there's a survival mode. And what happens is this always gets ugly because people do strange things to survive. People do strange things to keep their power People do strange things to keep their name up on top. 
Sometimes it's extreme, right? Sometimes we read horrific stories of genocide or violence or abuse or corruption in police and the army in different parts of the world. And sometimes it's that kind of extreme where people are trying to build a name for themselves, keep themselves on top, and they use violence to hurt everybody else to stay on top. But sometimes it's, it's, it's more simple than that, right? Sometimes you just kind of sabotage your friend's presentation at work because you want to make sure that you can get ahead. Sometimes it's not sharing their name when they did something good because you're trying to create a name for yourself, not for them. You don't want like Rosie to do well. You want, you want to do well. You don't want Frank to do better. You want to do better. So you're building a name for yourself, sometimes at the expense of other people. And so it could be in the most simplest way. Sometimes in a relationship or a neighborhood or a circle of friends, somebody spreads gossip about somebody else because they want to make sure their name is higher. And they allow themselves to hurt other people. And so inherently, there's nothing wrong with building something. But when you build and reach and make out of the motivation of pride to make a name for yourselves, usually it leads to bad decisions. You're normally hurting other people and eventually you hurt yourself. Or worse, there's this constant striving in your life that never gets fulfilled. This constant push that never gets satisfied. The story of Babel teaches us that, this striving to make our names great at the expense of others and even our own wholeness. But then enter the story in scripture and you walk through the story of the Old Testament, you walk through the story of Israel, and then we find Jesus. And what we happened today, we, we, we celebrated baptism. So the word Babel enters the scriptures in Genesis 11. The word baptism was a Jewish practice and we see it flourish in the New Testament with the church. And baptism is categorically different than Babel. Babel was about identity, making a name for yourself, finding your identity by name making. Baptism is discovering your identity by name receiving. It's totally different. You receive a name. You acknowledge a name. You surrender to a name at baptism rather than making a name for yourself. And in some ways, in our competitive world and Montreal's market and everything, it might seem counterintuitive, counterproductive. Why would I serve a name? Why would I bless another name? Why would I take on another name? Why don't I just build a name for myself? And yet there's something so beautiful and rich about baptism that we discover identity not by name making, but by name receiving. Because there's a difference between making a name for yourself and receiving a name at baptism. Acts, Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Um, and I think maybe this is what Michelle quoted when he, he, taught, when he discovered that, that, that God was asking him to be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you know, the, the Apostle Peter is preaching to a crowd of people. Many of them are just enlightened to know who Jesus is and discover who he is. They feel cut to the heart, the, the story tells us. They, they feel like God just spoke to them so deeply and they recognize what has gone on with Jesus, how Jesus was falsely accused and sent to a cross, how he died for their own sins. And, and they ask Peter, what should we do to be saved? And Peter says, says these words, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter invites them. He says, repent, turn. Other, other, other times this was said in the, in the book of Acts was repent and believe. In other words, repent in who you are, in who you've been, or your life without God. Make a U-turn. Put your faith in Christ. And then there's this word baptism. 
And every one of them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the sense of when someone gets baptized, they're identifying with Jesus. They're discovering a better way to affirm their identity. They're discovering a better way to find the source of their identity. What does it mean? It means that this person or people who get baptized begin to associate themselves with Jesus, with his death, burial, and resurrection. They take that on. The words the New Testament uses is, is, uh, is people, someone dies to themselves. They die to themselves and they let Jesus lead. They die to their sin and they let Jesus forgive. They die to their selfish, prideful pursuits and they let Jesus lead. And transformation starts to take place in that person's heart because they realize they're striving before whether it was moral or immoral, whether it was striving to be so good or striving to be immoral, both those journeys are exhausting and lead nowhere. But when they've come to discover Jesus, they say, oh, I want to trust in that name. I want to trust in him. And I don't just die to myself, but then I raise with him in resurrection and I discover life. And a couple of things happen. Freedom happens because as Peter says, he said it there is, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. So we find freedom. So we read the scriptures, we read through the narrative and we discover the, even that humanity is broken. And you know, if you're here today for the first time, you're here because you're a guest for a baptism and you're not so familiar with scripture, you might even say, I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual. I don't care about this. I think there's one thing we can all agree on is that the world many times feels broken. And that when we look at how the scriptures describe a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with each other, and a broken relationship with the planet, even if we, haven't, even if we say, I don't believe the Bible, you could say, that's true. Humanity struggles with a broken relationship with God, with each other, and with the planet. But the scriptures lead us to believe that even though we are broken, we can find forgiveness in Christ. And even when we have a good name, a good name in human terms, we still wrestle with a broken heart. I bet if you would sit down with someone who's accomplished much, who's had a good reputation, and you just sit down with them long enough, and the, and the, the curtains come down, in a sense, to that person's life, they will begin to, if they're honest with you, they will begin to share some of the brokenness that they feel and struggle inside. We've seen it play out. We've seen the, the stories where people masquerade their goodness and their accomplishments and their success. And then there's a moment of, of vulnerability and they share how broken at times they felt because of their pursuit. But it's more than forgiveness. What happens when we trust in Jesus' name? We rest in his leadership. We actually say, we discuss, you know, when we, when we baptize Savior, we said, have you confessed Jesus, not just as Savior who's forgiven your sins, but as Lord? We, then we can rest in his leadership because we know he's leading our lives. We begin to know and discover he is Lord of everything. And because he's Lord of everything, I can trust him to lead my life. I can trust him to be Lord of my life because he has everything under control. You know, the heart, the heart of discipleship, whether you've been following Christ for 30 years or you're just beginning to discover Jesus, the heart of discipleship is a real simple phrase. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. When we say that, 
And the scriptures say, we can't say that fully without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But when we say that, we're acknowledging Jesus, I want Jesus to lead my life like he is ruler over everything. Another beautiful thing that happens with baptism compared to Babel is that God affirms our name. We, we, we discover a new name in baptism. Jesus discovered this beautiful affirmation when he gets baptized. We read this in Matthew chapter 3 and other parts of the Gospels where Jesus himself actually got baptized in a river by John the Baptist. And when Jesus gets baptized, we read the story that the heavens open up and God's voice showers over him. And God's voice says, this is my son in whom I love, in whom he's well, I'm well pleased. Imagine, G- here's Jesus, God's own son. After baptism, he sent, he, the spirit leads him to the desert where Satan tempts him three times about power and his name and, uh, and uh, you know, trusting in, in the riches of this world. Jesus' identity gets hit. Jesus' identity gets tested. But it's at baptism where his identity is affirmed as God's son, as the beloved son of God. And so in his, uh, his identity comes and is affirmed even at baptism. This is Jesus who in his baptism is affirmed that he's God's son. His identity is affirmed. And his baptism shapes who he is. That starts to lead him to the cross. Our baptism shapes who we are, or baptism in general, the call to follow Jesus. And you know what? It actually frees us to be who we're meant to be. It frees us to be the people God's created us to be. Now, when he said Michelle got baptized today, my heart jumps rejoicing because I know that when anybody surrenders to Christ, God doesn't just, God doesn't sabotage their life and say, okay, we're going to erase your brain, erase your gifts, erase your strengths, erase your experience. No, God says, I've created you to be this way. There's been a crack in your system because of sin, but I'm going to bring wholeness and I'm going to show, I'm going to show you your true identity, who you've always meant to be. So Babel, interesting, is all about me, making a name for myself. Baptism says I'm, a, I'm God's child. I'm his child. I'm part of God's family. If there's one phrase I want you to remember, it's this. We find true identity not by making a name for ourselves, but by receiving a name. We truly, truly find a true identity not by making a name for ourselves, but discovering a new name in Christ. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. So, so three, three kind of words to leave you today. And I think this will apply to you. Like many of us who are following Christ, I think this will affirm and, and lead and ch- maybe challenge in some ways. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're wondering, what is, what is Christianity all about? What, is, what happens when, when we actually trust this amazing message of Jesus? Well, here's, here's a couple of things. The first word is freedom. Freedom takes place when we trust who Jesus is. Tim Keller wrote a little book, I, think, I can't remember what it was called, but it's on this whole idea of self-forgetfulness, that we can, we can actually rest in who God is to the point of not forgetting ourselves, lies and ignoring ourselves, self-forgetfulness, living a life of freedom, not being overly concerned or anxious about all the, the things that want to take attention from our lives. In other words, we find freedom because we, you know, the, the wrestle, the, the, the struggle of Babel, making a name for us, that's draining. Isn't that draining? It's draining to make a name for yourself. It's draining to pursue that with pride. Have you ever donated online for a friend's fundraiser? 
Like not just, not just like anonymously, but because a friend invited you to, to sponsor something or give towards a cause. And whenever I give online like that, I always struggle with that decision. There's that point to put your name. You can tick off anonymous, right? But then there's that point like to fill in your information. And then you, when you look at the, the donation page, you see people's names and their amounts. So I don't know about you, but that just throws me off because I'm like, well, I'd like, to see, I'd like people to see that I gave. So maybe I should put my name. David Manifold, DDO resident, gave $150, you know, whatever, right? But then I think, well, if I don't give that much, if I give less than other people, maybe I don't want to put my name because then they're going to know that I give less than the other person. And I'm like, no, maybe I'll just give anonymously. But then I realize no one will actually know that I gave, not even my friends. I like, I'll have to tell them that I gave. And, and then that's a little bit troubling. Hey, if you give enough, you can list philanthropist on your LinkedIn profile. That's like, now, doesn't that sound draining? <laughs> doesn't that sound exhausting? I know I overdid it. But in some ways, this goes through our minds. But the gospel brings us freedom from that. It bring, when we discover we're God's child, when someone is baptized into Christ, I no longer have to build, reach, and make to build my name up. There's freedom from that. There's freedom from that. Henry Nouwen wrote a book. He was a scholar at Yale and Harvard. And later in his life, he shifted his whole focus and started to serve mentally challenged people. And he wrote a book called Beloved. And he wrote a book about a businessman who struggled with uh, affirmation, who struggled with identity. And, and Henry Nouwen just wrote, if you would just come to discover the beautiful words at Jesus' baptism and hear God's words every day, you are my beloved. You are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. That would change. The other, the other way that you can look at this is, is our impact towards others. Not just freedom, but our impact towards other people. Now here's a question. List just in your mind the top three people that have influenced you in your life. I don't mean like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, whatever. I mean like people that have really poured into your life, been there for you. And I think if you're really honest and you think of the kind of people that have influenced you, usually there are those are the people who invested in you and not their platform. Usually they invested in you and not their platform. They didn't do it for a name. So when we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we usually lose out on impacting people. But when we're, when we're free from that, God can use us to influence and impact so many people. So many people authentically. So impact. The last idea is, is our meaning. To find meaning in your work and your life. One of my favorite jazz musicians is John, John Coltrane. And uh, I used to love, some people like him. And he, um, one of my favorite songs from him is actually Giant Steps. It's a great song. But he, one of his most popular songs ever is the one up there titled Love Supreme. And um, he has quite a following because of that song alone. But John Coltrane describes the journey of his life. He was involved in alcoholism and drug abuse. And he describes a moment in his life where he literally, he writes it down this way, where he discovered the love of God. And, and his life wasn't perfect after that, but something started to shift in his life when he discovered the love of God. He went through a bit of difficulty after that and then came to realize the God of the universe actually loves me. And he wrote this, this, this song, Love Supreme. 
And people, his, the musicians that, that performed it with him, that recorded it with him, those who heard it, would often say there is such a strong message, even musically through the song. And Coltrane said that after that discovery, after that shift in his life, he no longer felt like, like he needed to serve, like use his music just for himself. He said something changed because he discovered a love so supreme that now his life, his, his music, his writing, his composition took on a whole new level because he knew he was contributing to something greater than himself. And God instilled that in him. And so when we discover, not to make a name for ourselves, but the name that comes when we follow Jesus, we, we can build and we can reach and we can make, but now with a new purpose, with a new end goal, with a new reason. We can become a contributor. We can become a giver. We can become a blesser. That changes everything. I'm going to invite the team to come up so we can close together with one last song. But I just want you to, to consider this as we, as we come to a close here today. Maybe you're following Christ and you've lost your perspective. And you're thinking, man, I have been living to make a name for myself. And you're wondering, why don't I feel like God is leading, blessing, guiding, prompting? Because you're not called to live out the story of Babel. You're called to live out the story of baptism. And so God's calling you to that. We still, if I've been following Christ for many years, I got baptized as a teenager, I am still called to live out my baptism, not to resort to the story to living out Babel. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been seeking God and you're thinking, this is good news. This other way seems draining. I'd rather walk this way. And God, here's the deal. God wants to be the source of your identity. He wants to be the source of your identity. So I encourage you to come back, to learn, to listen, to to explore the teachings of Jesus to explore what community means. Come hang, hang out with us at the picnic next week and just chat. But then the week after, we have this really awesome series called Summer Vocation. And we're going to talk about rest and renewal and relationships and restoration and what it means for the next few months to actually take a look at that and say, I want my summer to be different. We're going to kick that off in a couple of weeks. But ultimately, what's the process to discovering this kind of joy, this kind of freedom, impact, meaning? It starts by repenting. Repentance is a word that means turn around. So if you've been exploring who Jesus is, but just waiting to turn around, God's saying, turn around, repent. Don't keep walking that way. Walk this way. Don't walk the way of Babel. Walk the way of baptism. It means belief, putting our belief that Jesus actually is the Son of God who rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit to trust him, to follow him. Maybe for some of you that means, hey, here's my next step. I need to get baptized because I'm going to obey Jesus. And so as we we wrap up and close today, I I want you to to consider that. What's your next step? And and here's here's something I want us to to end off with because as the the team leads us in this last song, um, I want us to get something really, really important, and it's this. Even Jesus, the Son of God, and he was given titles, right? The Christ was the anointed one. Um, He was given the name Jesus at his birth because he was going to be the savior of the world's sins. He was fulfilling the role of the Messiah from the Old Testament. So Jesus, if there was anybody on the face of our planet and in human history that could hold on to a name and make a name great, it could have been Jesus, right? 
But Jesus doesn't even make a name for himself. Jesus allows God to make a name for himself. Listen, listen to this early church hymn that describes Jesus Christ as this way. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's so countercultural. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Jesus didn't seek out making a name for himself, but look what God does. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did not seek a name for himself. But God said, as you've lowered yourself, now I will lift you up and give you a name above every other name. Let's stand as we worship and celebrate with this as the team leads us in this song celebrating the name of Jesus uh, how majestic his name is and if you're here today and, and in this moment you feel like I need to make a step forward I need to make a decision as we're singing as we're praying would you would you just share that with the Lord share that with the Lord and ask him Lord say Lord I want to trust you fully I don't want to walk the draining way of Babel to make a name for myself I want to walk the way of baptism trust Jesus' name Let's sing and worship and celebrate as we do that. Amen. Isn't it awesome to just end celebrating with the name of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we just say thank you. We're grateful. Thank you that you've saved us and long to save us from the way of Babel. God, we acknowledge it's, it's tiring, draining, unfruitful to walk the way to pridefully build, reach, and make a name for ourselves when you've called us into baptism, to be immersed in the life that you long for us, that you've created for us, that you've designed for us, that you envisioned for us, where we have surrendered to the name of Jesus, where we have put our trust in the name of Jesus. And when that takes place, you promise to fill us with your spirit and give us life to the fullest. And God, we say thank you because then you give us the freedom to build and reach and make, but not bound by pride, not bound by anxiety, not bound by selfish ambition, not bound by an elitist mentality that leaves others out. But God, you promise us freedom and the opportunity to be a blessing and impact to others and to find meaning in our work and life and relationships because they take second place to the name of Jesus. And we can discover them in fresh ways, in better ways, when Christ's name becomes first and foremost. So God, we, just, we affirm that together as a community today. Guide us and lead us, especially when we feel tempted by the way of Babel in our, in our world. And for some today who are making a decision for the first time to trust you, to believe in you, God, would you flood their hearts as you long to do with your blessing and life and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. In his name we pray. Amen.